Well, haven't we been on a wild ride of delving into scripture this year? Particularly so as we have journeyed through the Easter story and really taken the time to dwell in the before and the after happenings of that most known time in the Christian calendar. Well, today, the story continues with Ascension Sunday. Did anyone know it was Ascension Sunday today? Does anyone know what Ascension Sunday means? No? The Ascension of Christ, as we just saw in that video, was the day in which Christ ascended. Ascending means going upwards, was lifted up into heaven to be seated in his rightful place with God. So 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus has ended his earthly mission. But believe it or not, today we're not going to focus on the mechanics of Jesus' journey to heaven. No talk about a levitating or flying Jesus or a magical disappearing act like we just saw. Interestingly, Luke's gospel doesn't even hint at any details about how Jesus ascended to heaven. Clearly, that is not the focus of the message that Luke is portraying in his writings to us. So, let's read through today's passage. It's from Luke, uh, chapter 24, verses 44 to 53. So, it's right at the end of Luke's gospel. 24, 44 to 53. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out of the vicinity, out to, sorry, out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So Luke's entire purpose in his gospel is actually big picture thinking. Luke is intent on reminding us that the purpose of Jesus' coming was to fulfil the scriptures of the Old Testament. Jesus was a part of the entire Bible narrative, in fact, and God's entire plan for all the characters we know from Genesis right up until this point of ascension. And then Luke continues his writings on in Acts, the book of Acts, on the life of the church after the ascension of Jesus. So this really is the big passing of the baton from the ministry and mission of Jesus to the ministry and mission of his followers, the church. Jesus had been with the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection and now he was about to deliver this last speech to them. This first half of our passage today is literally Jesus explaining the finalities of his earthly mission. I came, I saw, I conquered, peace out, I'm done. He firstly gives them the big I told you so like Jesus likes to do. And he says once again, this is what I told you while I was still with you in ministry. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. So there's your little Old Testament hint. Jesus' ministry was never placed to be just a moment in history. 
It was never an accident or a contingency plan. His life and ministry on earth is consistent and continuing on with God's presence and with humanity since the very beginning. He was the living, breathing, human representation of a God whose deepest longing is for us and all of creation. God made a covenant with us long before Jesus arrived on earth, a covenant through Moses that Jesus came to fulfill, and this moment was the final icing on the cake. And then Jesus does something. It says in verse 45, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the the scriptures. So Jesus opens his listeners' eyes in a brand new way. He puts all the pieces together and they recognise him as risen Lord, son of the living God. They recognise him now not only as their teacher and with this partial understanding of the man named Jesus, but as the incarnation of God. And this, of course, also requires a complete revision of their view of themselves too and everything around them. It is as if a veil has been dropped and everything is starting to make sense. Surely you've had one of those moments where suddenly you've received that one last piece of information which seems to make everything all fall into place and it all makes sense. We've all been there. And then he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. So that's in a, it in a nutshell, really. Now they're seeing more fully that God is actively at work redeeming all of creation and that they now have a role in this work. Now they're beginning to see the big picture more clearly. And essentially, they're about to receive their graduate certificate of the ultimate training course because Jesus has equipped them. He has taught the theory component, given practical application. They've had their marching orders and their sermon outline. They're about to receive their support hotline, the Holy Spirit, to guide them through anything they may face in the future. Jesus assures them and us that we're not left to our own devices in this challenging work of witness. The spirit that is received at Pentecost will give us the supernatural power that we need to be effective in our ministry and mission. There's a little Latin term I want to share with you today and it's called missio dei and it literally just means mission of God. It refers to the work of the church, his followers, being a part of God's official work. The disciples receive their own personal invitation, as do we, should we choose to accept it? Is that a thing? Your mission, should you choose to accept it? Into the Missio Dei. This invitation comes with a deep assurance that the Spirit will help us be effective if we rely on him to speak and act through us, rather than taking it upon ourselves to make up our own methods. Thank goodness for that. Do you notice how Jesus says to the disciples in verse 49 to stay in the city until they have been clothed with power from on high? This is a pretty strong clue that God doesn't want us going this mission alone, nor does he want any rogue messengers out there steering the wrong path. This Missio Dei is hard work. The sort of loving God we proclaim upends the ordinary understanding of power. Remember, the earthly idea of power is so much different, like that of Pilate's triumphal entrance at Passover compared to the lowly donkey walk that Jesus took. 
It's going to take more than just some convincing to tell others about the good news of God without any of the bells and whistles of the world. I mean, no doubt there are times when even the most faithful followers question things. We cannot do this mission without God, nor should we want to. You may notice that there is somewhat of a physical example of the passing of the baton in these verses too. You see, Jesus physically leads his followers out to Bethany, the very place where he began his triumphal entry into Jerusalem before his crucifixion. This is where he blessed them and then left them as he was taken up to heaven. See, this is interesting because throughout the Gospels, Jerusalem is the destination of his ministry. Most of the Gospels, in fact, are recounted as Jesus walking towards Jerusalem. So by drawing his disciples out of Jerusalem for his final earthly farewell, he's essentially commanding them to return to Jerusalem on their own qualified mission. The mission that will begin in Jerusalem and spread throughout the entire world. So what we're looking at here, as Jesus raises a hand and blesses them, much like Moses did, if we know our, our Old Testament, in a transfer of leadership to the next generation at the end of his leadership. We see the Old Testament examples of this in Moses blessing Joshua and in Elijah blessing Elisha. It's the same thing. Jesus hands down a part of who he is to his followers and as they take on the Missio Dei, they take him with them. When Jesus had left them, they instantly began worshipping him and obediently returned to Jerusalem with overwhelming joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. What a sight that would have been. And a reminder that the New Testament scriptures tell the story of Jesus as well as the story of the church. The church continues God's actions on earth that began in Christ. The focus of Luke's writings is the importance of the church as the instrument of God's continued action on earth. What a privilege for us to be literally right now seated in God's church, the place that represents the extension of Jesus' ministry on earth, which is the continuance of God's original mission, the Missio Dei. So I got to thinking about the idea of this passing of the baton from Jesus to the disciples. How many times when we've watched relay races, perhaps in the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games, at the changeover of the baton, the next person in line drops it or misses the grab? What happens? Their whole dream of success is over. I mean, they, they can legally pick it up if it's not going to disturb any of the other teams. But the chances of winning the race or regathering well enough, it's, it's not looking good from here. The problem is not only is that runner, the one who dropped it, affected by this error, but the rest of the team is too. The first runner, the one who got off to a great start, actually ran the perfect race, was first, handed over the batter to runner number two, and all of their work seems worthless now at the hands of runner number two. Furthermore, runners three and four, they don't even get the opportunity to start the ex and experience the race at all. So I wonder if we relate this metaphor to the exchange from Jesus to the disciple or even Jesus to us. What if when Jesus handed over the Missio Dei to the disciples, they just went back to their homes and gave up? What if they decided to try their own ways without receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? And what if we today don't take up the offer to be messengers in the mission of God? 
See, there would have been a coach who made a choice to put a team together for a relay race rather than just coach one perfect runner. That one perfect runner could have trained and entered a solo race and taken all the glory rather than choose to join a team event. But that's the love of God right there. God didn't want to do his mission without our participation. I feel no doubt that Jesus could have continued on in his perfect ministry and ministered to potentially millions. God takes the risk of our imperfection though because he wants our participation. But just so I can stretch this one just a little bit further, what if we think about the Paralympics? Who here is in complete awe when you see the runners who are vision impaired run their races? Not only do they have to train hard physically to be fast enough to compete in these races, but they have a very special partner who also trains with them every step of the way. But their eyesight is clear. They can see everything ahead of them on the track and they perfectly guide the runner to the finish line. The runner has full and complete trust in their partner guiding them to success. Jesus reminded the disciples to return to Jerusalem and wait to receive the Holy Spirit. It would potentially be disastrous for the vision-impaired runners to compete without their advocate alongside them, right? Just as if we attempt to take control of our own lives, and worse still, attempt to do the mission of God without the Spirit alongside us, guiding us. The ascension story of Jesus, the passing of the baton to the disciples, and now to us, to participate in the Missio Dei, the mission of God, is a pivotal and memorable story in Scripture. Not only does it draw us into the mystery of God and send our minds running on what the physical vision of ascension actually looked like for those witnesses that day, but it also gives us an incredible summary of who God is, how he so loves his creation as a whole, including and most especially his people created in his image to participate in his very own work to reconcile everything to himself. We have the power to do all the things that we read about in scripture that Jesus did on earth. All of it. Do you believe it though? The power of the Holy Spirit is unlimited and it is accessible. Whether you accept Jesus into your heart 50 or 60 years ago or even just yesterday, the Holy Spirit's power working through us is the same. We're a part of the big picture of God. Every single one of us is included in the mission. All we have to do is say yes and seek the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. But do we want it? Over the last few weeks, we've talked about that word eternity. We've talked about the fact that we're living in eternity right now. And in a moment, we're going to listen to a song. And that song reflects the belief that we're longing for the day when all the parts of the big picture come together. It says, How I long to breathe the air of heaven, where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets, to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again. And every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears.
And on that day we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of faith with one voice, a thousand generations sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain, forever he shall reign. So let it be today that we shout the hymn of heaven. With angels and the saints we raise a mighty roar, glory to our God who gave us life beyond the grave, holy is the Lord. When we begin to open our hearts and minds to big picture thinking, and that's what this song is about, it's big picture thinking. This is actually what we live for. We know that big picture. God creates the heavens and the earth, and because of the fall of humanity, every single story, every single person and circumstance that we read in the Bible is drawing to the life of Jesus who then performs the ultimate in sacrifice to deem us worthy to continue in the Missio Dei. How can we not be in complete astonishment? How can we not be on our knees in awe of him? How can we not be continually in his presence, praising like the disciples did? When we know this big picture that is entirely created, ordered, and reconciling for us and with us. How can we not dedicate life to the Missio Dei? I think now is the time for us to accept the invitation to the ultimate partnership in the work. So today as you listen and reflect on the song, I encourage you to get real with God. Ask God to open your heart like never before. May we all believe in a Holy Spirit who will work through us in ways that we have never seen or experienced before. There's no amateur level of Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts and in our lives and through us if we're just open to it. And like the song says, glory to our God who gave us life beyond the grave. Holy is the Lord.